0: Good morning. Welcome back to the broadcast retirement network. I'm Joe Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, September 23rd, 2023. And our top story today, the Federal Reserve puts out a hawkish message alongside its decision to hold interest rates steady. Joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Monica Malpass is with
1: the NASDAQ.
0: Monica, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us in the program this morning.
1: Thank you. Great to be with you.
0: And, and before we get into the markets, I, I'm really interested in this. You have a teaching gig. You want to tell us a little bit about what this gig is? So in addition to your work from the NASDAQ and your broadcast work, you're teaching. What, what, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I just became a college professor, an adjunct assistant professor at Hunter College here in New York City up at 69th and Park Avenue. So I'm very excited about it. Teaching media. So that's writing and reporting to uh, young journalism students, our reporters and anchors of tomorrow. Uh, And so it's for one semester of doing a lot of work with these youngsters to get the writing and the reporting skills they need.
0: Yeah, yeah. look, we're going to, AI cannot replace the reporter. We're going to need uh, we're going to need these folks to do a lot of digging and tell us what's going on in markets and all across, uh, I guess the uh, the reporting spectrum.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think Chat GPT and other vehicles like that have shown us that although you can get some deep dive research, you have to be careful because, for example, if you Google yourself or Chat GPT check yourself. A lot of the facts, so-called facts, are wrong. So we allow the students, believe it or not, to use it for research as one of many tools as long as they cross-check their sources as always. But you're right. Nothing replaces a human being who reaches out, makes contacts, has good sources, and does really their homework because you have to have a human who can tell when something's true or untrue.
0: Yeah. And you can't, you just can't replace this. Um, Monica, let's talk, let's talk about this week in the market. And uh, you had the, the luxury. I mean, you get, I mean, you are at a beautiful facility at the NASDAQ. You're overlooking the, uh, the floor. The Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell came out with some, uh, some comments on Wednesday. I want to get your reaction to that and also get the reaction of markets.
1: All right. Well, interesting. As you said, it was not unexpected, but still uh, until it happens, you don't know for certain. But the Fed did not raise rates this week. As you know, Uh, the caveat was they put a comma at the end of that and said they reserve the opportunity to raise them one more time sometime this year. Uh, So the central bank has raised rates, as you know, 11 times in 18 months. Uh, They say that, of course, they are uncertain if this is going to stick, but they're hoping that it will, as we all are, because it's been driving up mortgage rates. Uh, car loans, uh, credit card interest rates really having a major impact on the economy. But you're right. The Fed Chair Jerome Powell says central bankers do believe that the U.S. economy is generally robust. Uh, But again, all bets are off until we get a firm view of that over uh, more of the cycle than just a little couple of months here and there. We do see shares in tech firms, however, I'm sorry, uh, did sputter a bit, uh, the big ones anyway. For the big banks and tech stocks are increasingly under pressure uh, because busy with bond yields and obviously they're trying to entice investors to redirect some cash to the treasury markets but uh, you know across the board we're seeing that things feel like mostly they're getting stronger
0: yeah i I apologize for interrupting you. that would be what not to do by the way if you're interviewing (laughs) don't interrupt your guest. i break seem to break all those rules but i was gonna i was gonna ask you uh how have markets Reacted? Have they? I saw during the mid, middle part of the week maybe um, uh, dipped a little bit. But how, in general, have markets reacted? You, you already talked a little bit about the stock, the tech stocks in general. How do markets react?
1: you know the markets have had a mixed reaction a little bit of a cautious reaction if you will uh, the Dow and Nasdaq both opened in negative territory after that news broke uh, at least the next day um, however you know also we've had good news on the jobless claims that report came out this week and it showed that 201,000 uh, less jobless claims were filed so that's big uh, that's the lowest rate since January by the way so it again shows one more indicator that the uh, economy is strong uh, so so anyway, as we get more and more pieces of the puzzle, you have to hope that things will uh, build to a crescendo, if you will.
0: Yeah, Monica, I want to ask you just completely not focused on the market, but going back to your, our, the beginning of our conversation, what makes a good reporter?
1: What makes In- a good reporter? Uh, you know, a couple of things. I have to. I think you have to be innately curious. Um, And so you have to be willing to ask people that you wouldn't normally go up to questions uh, about their work and what motivates them. I also think you have to be a good listener. And a lot of people don't have that skill because even though you might walk in with 20 questions that you've done a lot of research about, um, if someone gives you a little nugget of an answer you weren't expecting, you have to be ready to drop those questions and go off on a whole new tangent. So uh, you have to be listening and also have enough back backbone to your research that you can follow that tangent to a whole new, perhaps better part of the interview.
0: Yeah, really good point. That listening skill undervalued, but really important. Monica, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for popping by the program. We look forward to having you back on the program again very soon.
1: All right. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks to all of you. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Monica. we come back, we'll take a look at some of our best segments for the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network. That will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. This week, we had some great shows with great topics, of course, great guests. We kicked off the week with a look at how eating a vegan diet can reduce your grocery bill by over $500. Let's take a
1: look.
3: We had 244 people who, were, who had extra weight and needed to lose some weight. And so we invited them to join our research study. Half of them was randomly assigned to follow a low-fat vegan diet. Vegan means no animal products. Uh, and low fat, up to 30 grams of fat per day. So the diet consisted of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes. And the other half of the people were randomized to the control group that was asked to stay on their usual diet for 16 weeks. And uh, at at the beginning of the study and then at the end, people gave us a detailed three-day diet record. Everything they ate, they just put down. And... uh, a registered dietitian went over the diet record and called them up and said, hey, the oatmeal you had, was it this brand or that brand? And how much of this did you have? And the low-fat milk, like, was it 1% or 2% fat? What, you know, all the details. And so we had all the detailed diet records. and not only did people on a vegan diet lose weight, um, about uh, about fourteen pounds in the sixteen weeks, uh, their metabolism improved. You know, these were people in their fifties and sixties, and now they were like, "Oh, my metabolism is much better. I burn the energy from food in a more efficient way." And not only did they experience the, these health benefits, but we also analyzed the food costs. How much, you know, would they pay for the groceries? And in order to do that, we linked all the foods in in the diet records that people gave us with the U.S. Department of Agriculture Thrifty Food Plan which is a huge document. It's a huge spreadsheet with over 3,000 food items that you can look up uh, with, the, with the food cost or the average food cost for each of them. And so we linked up the database. Three colleagues were working on this for a few months. <laughs> they were blinded to the group assignment so that you know the linkage would be would be accurate. And we had a senior researcher from the university in Seattle checking the the, the linkage accuracy. And then we made the analyses, and we were blown away. I mean, you know, people are concerned about the prices of vegetables and 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 fruits. and they're like, I cannot afford the fresh produce. It's so expensive. But guess what? People started eating more fruits and vegetables on on the vegan diet. and as a result, they were spending more on these particular groceries. but the savings on the animal products, far outweighed you know the the increased um uh, spending on fruits and vegetables so at the end of the day people saved about a dollar and 51 cents a day so uh, that's roughly 500 a year per, per person right so imagine a family of four that's a significant saving on groceries uh, the participants, um, you know, not only lost weight and their blood lipids improved and their insulin sensitivity improved, that means these people were at a high risk of developing diabetes da- down the road. And now we completely reversed the course. And now they were completely metabolically healthy. They also reported having better sleep. Uh, You know, their energy levels went up. I mean, uh, you know, it was a whole transformation in terms of life life quality. And in addition, they were saving on groceries. They were on on a standard American diet. Uh, Being on a vegan diet was an excluder for the study. So people had to be on a standard American diet to begin with. And, you know, half of them made this great leap of faith i would say <laughs> and they jumped into a vegan diet for 16 weeks many people reported at the end of the study that this has been just transformative in their life and they 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 just decided to stick to to, to the vegan diet for life and that just speaks volumes you know sometimes people are hesitant to even tried the vegan diet it seems like oh it's so restrictive like you know i will not have that many options but you know as you mentioned jeffrey once you experience all the health benefits once you see how you feel you're like oh i'm not going back like this is too good (laughs) like i'm keeping this
0: and we also discussed how food allergies are on the rise let's take a look
2: basically There are a lot of different types of food allergies, the kind of food allergy that I think most people have in mind when they hear the term food allergy, especially when it's in combination with things like peanuts or shellfish or eggs, and the idea that, you know, you might need to carry epinephrine around to treat a a severe anaphylactic reaction. Those are uh, the types of food allergies that that our group has focused the most on. And also, I would say the most research has been done into those types of food allergies. And those are known kind of in the business as IgE-mediated food allergies, because there's a particular antibody called IgE that is sort of the the driver of all these uh, different responses that, that can happen when somebody who has a food allergy consumes that food or is otherwise exposed to that allergen. Um, and then they have reaction symptoms, which for this type of allergy, tend to be pretty rapid onset, You know, so in, in minutes to up to a couple hours, but usually within a few minutes of eating a food that someone is uh, has one of these IgE-mediated allergies they'll have symptoms like hives or you know swelling around where the the food touched in the mouth they might um you know as the food makes its way into the down into the gut the proteins get you know digested and and other parts of the immune system can then um, or other par- other parts of the body are then exposed to those things and then you have symptoms like you know you might vomit you might have diarrhea you um, you know, might have trouble breathing. Uh, you know, things like that. So, so those are the types of symptoms that we really are very uh, alert for in somebody who has an allergy. Because if you start experiencing symptoms like that, you could potentially be on your way to what we call anaphylaxis, and that is a very severe uh, type of reaction that can actually be life-threatening if not promptly treated with with epinephrine. Um, and and antihistamines can help as well, but really epinephrine is what you need uh, if you're experiencing anaphylaxis. Over the past 20, 30 years, it really seems like there has been a, a real increase. You know, of course, there's also probably a greater chance of somebody being aware of allergies as they've kind of become more commonly discussed and more. Uh, you know, now there are policies that are they're intended to try to help people with food allergies. There are. You know, when you go to the pediatrician, they might advise you to try to actually do things to prevent food allergies. So that aspect, um, you know, is kind of happening in tandem where that we think there's a real rise in prevalence happening um, that's driven by, you know, changes in our environment, like broadly speaking. Um, But then also there's probably more and more people thinking they have food allergies, you know, whether they do or don't, just because it's a topic that's on everybody's mind. It's not one thing that's changed. There have been a, a lot of uh, a lot of things that have changed in our, um, and when I say are, I mean, the places where we see the highest rates of allergies are places like the United States, Australia, um, parts of Europe. Although uh, to some extent, that is a function of, those are the places we've been doing the studies to really look for them. We're starting to do studies to to try to figure out how many people globally all over the place are affected. And it does seem that particularly in, Urban areas, um, even in, in um, places like China, um, th- there are they're also on the rise as well. Um, but but I think the most important uh, influence on on food allergies in particular appears to be related to the diets and how our diets have changed, um, particularly the ways that we we feed our infants. Um, we we know now um, you know, with pretty good certainty that early and frequent exposure of, uh, of these allergenic foods. And particularly we're thinking there's there are the proteins, cause that's what you're, uh, you know, so like peanut protein, like soy protein, th- those, these little proteins that are in the muscles of shrimp, uh, you know, those are the thing we don't really react to the whole shrimp or the whole nut. We react to these proteins that are in there. And so, um, on one hand, we've changed the ways that we process food where in the case of like peanuts, the particular way that that we and in, in the west like to eat our peanuts is like dry roasting them which actually has an effect on the way the proteins are are uh, kind of structured and the way that our immune system interacts with them as opposed to if you boil peanuts that actually renders them a lot less likely to be um you know be reacted to by your immune system so there's we've we've changed the way we process these foods we've also changed the the ways that we um, kind of systematically expose Uh, our immune systems to these foods um, in really important ways. Um, So, you know, you can think about for many, 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 you know, millennia, the way that we probably fed our babies was, you know, making baby food by mom eating food, chewing it up, giving the little, you know, puree, whatever you call it, kind of mama bird style um, to to the baby. And the babies were basically, they weren't eating baby food. They were just eating what the, uh, you know, once they, they weaned off a of breast milk, they were eating whatever foods that were in the adult diet. And uh, at that same time, adult diets weren't that variable. You know, if you think about, you know, up until pretty recently, it was, it would be very strange for somebody to, you know, in a three-day weekend, eat Italian food, Asian food. Uh, you know, American food, Northern European food, like food from literally all parts of the globe, all of which has these proteins that, you know, may or may not um, already be recognized by the immune system as something that is, uh, you know, friendly, innocuous, nutritious, uh, like like food should be. Um, so we've learned a lot about the importance of feeding these allergens to infants, um, early in their, uh, you know, in their development, when their immune systems are kind of most likely to, uh, treat that food as food and just treat it like it should and not have, uh, these very maladaptive reactions to it. Um, at the same time, we're also coming to understand that while it is a little kind of strange to think about, um, The biggest predictor of whether or not a child develops food allergy is actually whether or not they have atopic dermatitis, like a type of allergic eczema um, that's characterized by dry skin, inflamed skin, um, you know, a lot of itching, it can cover a little bit or a a lot of the child's body. And essentially, we've come to understand that um, because the way that your immune system first encounters these different Proteins is so important in terms of figuring out whether or not it's going to treat that protein like a helpful, nutritious food, or you know, some pathogen that it needs to expel from the body through swelling or vomiting or all the characteristics of an allergic reaction. Um, we now realize that it's kind of a a race to expose the immune system through the through the mouth, through the gut, by having the kids eat these foods. Compared to having the first uh, exposure to the foods happen through protein dust in the air, which is all around us. Like you think of the air being pretty much empty, but no, there's like millions of microbes and dust particles and things floating around. And it seems like a lot of these kids, when they have the inflamed skin, that peanut, if someone's eating peanut in the house, that dust is going in the air, it's landing on the kid's arm. And that's the first exposure that their immune system these foods starts this cascade of uh, of uh, adverse immune reactions that tend to result in allergy. So we really think it's important not just to to promote the early and kind of sustained feeding of these foods, but also make sure that um, the, that eczema, which is also on the rise, um, is is treated and uh, and that you're careful not to to what we call sensitize. Kids to to allergens through their skin, so so those are like kind of a couple of the major hypotheses. But clearly, I could go on and on and on about a lot of other ones.
0: Well, thanks again to all of our great contributors this week, and that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest? Somebody you think we should talk to? Drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter the Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRN Sunday. We'll be joined by the Legal Eagles and Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network to break down all the news and events for the week. You're not going to want to miss it. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. Don't forget, roll with the changes.